0: Thank you, Choir. If you would go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter one, the book of John chapter one. That's where we're going to start, and I'm going to give you a a little bit of a warning. We're going to go through a lot of passages of Scripture today, and uh, in the the first service, it was funny because you could kind of hear people keeping up at the beginning. By the end of it, I didn't hear any pages turning. So if you just want to use the screens behind me, that is perfectly fine. If you want to jot down the passages as we go, then check them out uh, in your Bible later. That's perfectly fine as well. Uh, Or if you have the church app. They're already there for you, which is a good thing, so you can follow along with that as well. So while you're turning there, let me mention um, the series that we're going to begin next Sunday. Adam alluded to a new series starting next Sunday. Today is just kind of a standalone message. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series. It's a little bit of a creative series. It's called 316, and uh, what we're going to be doing is taking for uh, over the next few weeks, taking different passages that end in 316. Now I have a feeling uh, when you think about a passage that ends in 316, most everybody here would think of John 316, rightly so, but there are other passages in the Bible that end in 316 that are significant passages of Scripture. So kind of a different take on a series, but still obviously looking in Scripture and pulling out some of these passages that are the overlooked 316s, the left out 316s that are going to speak into our lives as well. So that starts next Sunday. But today, We're going to look at a message simply entitled, Light. So, most of you know that I grew up in this area, not on the island, um, but I did grow up off of Bonaventure Road on a, on a little street called Idaho Avenue. And uh, that, that neighborhood has changed. When I grew up, it was all dirt roads around there. We would ride our bikes to the store and do all the kind of normal kid stuff. We played stickball out in the street and pick up football, whatever the season was. That was a sport we played usually out in the street. And uh, about a year ago, Jeremy came and did a, a, a little video. Um, our children's pastor Jeremy did a video on that street. Some of you may remember, and he forgot. Um, either it was that one. I think we went back and did another video associated with it, and uh, he forgot and left his tripod. Got back to the church, went back for it. And it was gone. So the neighborhood has kind of changed through the years, and uh, and and so. Uh, but I remember growing up, man. It was just it was it was awesome living where I lived. My family was in that that house. My parents for fifty years or more. And they lived there all the way up until I was married, and, uh, and then eventually had to move from there uh, once their health began to decline. But a lot of memories about that. But one thing that stands out is whenever the sun went down and it got dark, that was the creepiest house on the face of the earth. And I don't know if your house was like that when you were a kid, but once it got dark, man, that was just so incredibly creepy. It was a dark street, didn't really have a lot of street lights on it already, and uh, it, it backed up to the woods. And uh, that, that was kind of the back boundary were the woods, on the other side of which now is the Bonaventure Funeral Home, if that speaks anything. And so uh, that wasn't there when I was a kid. That would have made it worse. I would have run away from home, I think, if that had been the case. By the way, my senior year, I was coming home from senior prom, and uh, it was obviously after dark, and the car that I was driving broke down on the other side of the cemetery, and so I had to run up Bonaventure Road about six-tenths of a mile past the cemetery to get to my house, which was about a quarter mile from the cemetery there on Bonaventure Road. Needless to say, I had run the state track meet, the one-mile event, a week or two before. I think I broke my time on that on that run home. I don't even remember what kind of shoes I had, but I'm pretty sure I probably probably broke it, but it was just the creepiest house. You know, whenever you, whenever you think about when it gets dark as a kid, especially, you hear things in the dark that you don't hear during the light, and you see things in the dark, or you think you do, that you don't see necessarily in the light. There's this contrast between darkness and light. There's this contrast that comes in our own lives. I mean, we, we, we don't feel as comfortable when it's dark, because bad things happen after dark. I mean, things go south quickly in the darkness. But in the light, now the light is helpful. The light shows us the path. The light shows us which way to go. The light exposes things that we need to see. And there's this contrast between light and dark. Well, we see that contrast as well in Scripture, believe it or not. And what I want to do today is just to kind of trace this idea of light and dark, mainly light, that's what we're going to focus on, but you can't talk about one without the other, and I want us to see what Scripture says about it. It's going to be an interesting little journey, and I really hope you'll stick with me. It's going to, we're going to go a little bit deep, we're going to pull in a lot of different passages of Scripture, but what we're doing is, we're, we're thinking logically according to what the Bible says about this concept of light, and we're, we're going to paint this image of, of what light is, of where it comes from, and why we want to be found in it. And the Bible is going to be what we're going to use. That's going to help to give us that information, Information help us to paint that picture. So let me, let me just give you a principle real quickly, and then we're going to begin to trace through Scripture this concept of light. Here's the principle. It's really important to keep in mind. You already know it, but it's important to keep it in mind, that whenever we contrast light and darkness, whenever those two are contrasted and held up against each other, light always wins. Now we're going to see that literally, and you already know this, literally, but we're also going to see it when light is talked about in Scripture in a figurative sense. That whenever light and darkness are contrasted, light always wins. If we could block out these windows, take out all the ambient light, shut the lights down in here, and it was complete and total darkness where there was no light whatsoever. All I would have to do is to take out one small little tiny pin light, one little flashlight, and I would be able to shine it, and the light would win. Nobody ever says, hey, I'm having a hard time getting to sleep. Can you shine a little darkness over here in the bedroom so that I can go to sleep a little more easily? It doesn't work that way. If there's any presence of light, darkness is going to be dispelled in a literal sense. Light always defeats darkness, and when we, when we begin to trace this thought through Scripture, not only does light defeat darkness in a literal sense, but whenever light is spoken of in somewhat of kind of a metaphorical sense, or whenever it's, it's, it's dealt with as somewhat of an analogy, we see that light always wins as well, always, always, always. Now, darkness has a way of pressing in. The way I realized that I needed these little uh, valuable treasures, right, these little readers, it started whenever we would go out to eat, Susie and I, or our family, and I would go to a restaurant, and it would be a little bit darker than normal. And it seemed as though, whenever it was a little darker than normal in the restaurant, then the print on the uh, menu got smaller as well it's funny how that begins to work and so I would take out my cell phone and I would shine my light and if you ever do that and it's a little embarrassing but hey you got to see what you're about to order to eat and so I'd shine the light of my cell phone onto the menu so that I could see I still do that every now and then because sometimes these don't even necessarily help depending on what restaurant you're in or what the menu looks like light always dispels darkness light always wins and so as we begin to trace this through the Bible, we're going to start all the way back in Genesis 1. If you want to turn there with me, hold your spot in John 1. That's where we're going to be for the longest amount of time today. But if you want to flip back to Genesis 1, we're going to start in the very beginning, and we're going to read the first mention of the word darkness and the first mention of the word light, and we're going to start to trace this pattern, and we're going to begin to trace this picture. And so Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in the very first verse. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 1, it says, "...in the beginning..." God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters." So let's just stop right there for a moment. So we find a few key pieces of information, and I've talked about Genesis a good bit here recently, but let's just do it again for a moment. It says, in the beginning, fourth word of the Bible, God. And that word God in the Hebrew language is in the plural. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, plural for a reason. I believe it helps to capture the the nature of who God is, that he's one God, revealing himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A little bit later in this message, we're going to see Jesus here at this point of creation as well. We'll get to that in just a moment, but it says in the beginning, God. And When we find this mention of God, this is a reference to the only one true living God in existence. This isn't the beginning of God. This is the beginning of time and life as we know it. God is without beginning and without without end. He is eternal. And it says that he created the heavens and the earth. There's an important contrast here. It doesn't say that he inherited the heavens and the earth. God didn't just somehow, you know, wander around the universe and realize, hey, there's some heavens and an earth here. Let me see what I can do with this. That's not the picture of of life as we know it. God created. He created out of nothing by the very power of his voice, his creative activity. He created everything that we see. And it describes this creation of heaven and earth in the beginning. Verse 2, the earth was formless. That's a reference there that it had not yet been fashioned. It says it was void, in other words, it was uninhabited, it was empty, and darkness is what was over the surface of the deep. There was darkness that prevailed. Now, all three of those things, the fact that the earth was formless, that it was void, and that darkness prevailed, would all be dealt with at creation. In fact, God would begin through the six days of creation. He would, he would give fashion and design to the earth that he had created. He would also bring into existence animals and people, obviously, that he would create that would no longer leave earth uninhabited. And he would, as we see in verse 3, speak light into existence. Let's take a look at this. Look at verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. It, it was just a simple statement born out of the, 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 uh, the eternal power of the nature of God, where all he had to do literally was say, Light, exist. It was a command, and in that instant, light existed. And this was foundational, because our, li- our lives are built on the necessity of light. So interesting, this is the first thing we see that God calls into existence in verse 3, is the existence of light. He spoke it into existence. All the way back... In the early days, right, when you read human history and you find people who are dwelling in caves, what do they have? They fashioned torches so that they could have fire, so that they could light the night. You look at the early U.S. settlers, and they would they would uh, uh, you know build their log cabins, and what would they do? They would have lanterns to light the night. When your power goes out because a hurricane comes through or we lose power for whatever reason, a neighbor's tree falls on the line, what do you do? You go scrounging through the drawers and all the cabinets looking for candles and trying to find the little click lighters so that you can have what? Light at night. It's that much much of a necessity. And in the very beginning, God brought into existence. He spoke by his power light into existence. Now, some people would say, all right, this is problematic, All right? Those who read a little more deeply, this is problematic because, Brooks, if you've read your Bible, you realize the sun was not created until day four. So how do we have light on day one, but the sun's not even created day four? And some people will posture that as, aha, we got you you can't trust the Bible. Well, remember, if you are a, 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 an eternally existing God, completely independent of his creation, who has all power, all knowledge, all wisdom, and you are able to create by the power of your voice, it's really not that big of a deal to have light before you hang a sun in the sky. <laughs> Too big for us to fully grasp. Not a big deal for God. In fact, every miracle in the Bible that you read after Genesis 1 pales in comparison, even resurrection, pales in comparison to the ability to create all that we have out of nothing. All right. So God said, let there be light. By the way, if you think about it, you can look at this verse on the screen behind me over in Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. This is an interesting little bookend. Chapter 1, you find that God creates light. He creates it before he even hangs the sun in the sky on day 4. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, It says, speaking of the end times, for those who have a relationship with Christ, there will no longer be any night. They will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And so perhaps in Genesis when it speaks of God speaking light into existence, we don't know exactly what that was. All we know is that God did it. And this is how he tells us that he chose to do it. Psalm chapter 36 Verse 9, speaking of God, it says, Your righteousness, or excuse me, I'm sorry, it says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. So God speaks light into existence. Day one of creation, God puts this into place. So the Bible goes on a little bit further than that. We're talking literal light. The Bible goes on to then describe God for who he is. And it does this throughout the pages of Scripture, for example, look at first John chapter one towards the end of the New Testament. First John chapter one verse five. Look at what this says. We're just connecting dots here, okay? So don't don't leave me. Just hang in there. This is it's gonna get better as we go. First John chapter chapter one, look down in verse five. It says this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So this is helpful, we're painting this picture that light did not exist until God spoke it into existence, literally, literal light. And then we go towards the back of the Bible and we find in 1 John a description that God is light, that's how he's characterized, and in him there is no darkness at all. So there's this contrast that's being painted. Darkness is not of God, light is associated with God. As we move through Scripture, what we're going to find in just a moment is that sin and our enemy, Satan himself, associated with darkness, God, whether Father, Son, Holy Spirit, salvation associated with light. There's this, the, the, this divide that's beginning to come into view. So let's go to John now, John chapter 1. I ask you to hold your spot there. We're going to add another element to this concept of light. Are you with me? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Okay, a little more confident than the first service, but I asked that question later, so we'll, we may circle back to that and see if you're still with me. All right, so let's look at John now. John chapter 1, let's begin in verse 1. So John writes, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, that's a capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, all right? So the Word equals God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. And the picture there is that at the beginning of time as we know it, as well as throughout eternity, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Verse 3, all things came into being through him. All right? So if we can only identify who the Word is here, capital W, what we find is that he's God and that he also took part in the creative activity described in Genesis 1 and 2. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So who's the word? Look down in verse 14. And the word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the picture here is that the word is none other than Jesus himself. Verse 14 puts it to rest. He came, he dwelt among us, That's the Gospels, right? We saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That was evident in Jesus. It was evident in the Mount of Transfiguration. It was evident throughout his sinless life. It was evident in the resurrection. It was even evident in his crucifixion. The Roman soldier said, this is unlike any other person. Surely this is the Son of God. So the word Jesus, it says, was with God. The word Jesus is God, and it's Jesus Who is also associated with the creative account that we read in Genesis one and two? All right. So, what does Jesus say about himself? Let's go over to John chapter eight, just a few chapters over. John chapter eight, verse twelve. What is we know what John just said about Jesus? What does Jesus say about himself? John chapter eight, verse twelve. Jesus is speaking to the people here. The context of John chapter eight is that a woman caught in adultery has just been brought to Jesus and uh, he's dealt with that, that, uh, that circumstance. And now verse 12 picks up afterwards, and it says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a huge claim by Jesus. This statement more than likely would have implications for him being crucified down the road. This and others like it, because he's saying a couple of things, both of which equate him with God's, he's essentially saying, I am God. One is, he uses the phrase, I am. Seven times, I believe it is, in John, he uses the I am statement. Any Jew who heard him say, I am, on all those different occasions, would have immediately equated that with what God said to Moses back in Exodus, At the burning bush, when Moses said to God, if they ask me who you are, what should I tell them? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. Jesus is saying I am, but then he also says I am the light, capital L, the light of the world. Remember what we've already established. It's very clear. God is light. That's how he's described Jesus on the scene now. comes in and he's saying I am the light. He's essentially saying I standing here before you am God in the flesh. And he even goes on a little bit further to say, And whoever follows me will not walk, walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. There's this picture now that, that tells us that life is associated with Jesus. Go back to John chapter 1. Let's go back there again. John chapter 1, verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. So what we're beginning to see is if a person wants to have life on God's terms, if a person wants to have light as we know it and not be in darkness, not walk in darkness, not walk in separation, not be characterized by sin, then we have to find ourselves in relationship with Jesus because he said, I am God, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you won't be in darkness. So, the bar is being raised in regards to having the light of life. It's associated with Jesus, and we only know it through relationship with him. John chapter 1, let's go down to verse 5. It says, The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Look over in verse 10 and verse 11, same chapter. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. He came to the Jewish people, and those who were his own did not receive him. Adding another component, God is light. God created physical light. God is light. Jesus came. He equates himself with God. He says, I'm God. I'm the light. If you want to walk in the light, then you have to know me. Otherwise, you walk and remain in darkness. And yet John tells us that there were those in the beginning, and there still are today, who may hear that message, and they see Jesus for who he is, and they reject him, and they say, no, I would prefer to stay in the dark where I can live life on my terms rather than to walk in the light where you, Jesus, are in control of my life. And that same rejection still happens today. If the numbers are accurate, there are those here, even in this place this morning, who have chosen to stay in the darkness and to reject Jesus or or to to refabricate an image of Jesus kind of on your terms that's more comfortable, but rejecting him for who he is as one who came to be in complete control of our lives. And it started at the very beginning of his ministry even. Along would come Paul, the greatest missionary that we read of in the New Testament, would plant churches all over that region of the world, one of which was in the city of Corinth, Paul would write a couple of letters. It's in the second letter, Second Corinthians, to the church in Corinth that we begin to hear a little bit of Paul's idea regarding this whole concept of light and darkness. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 4, he says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world, that's a little g, a reference to Satan, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So wait a minute. It's not just that there were those who rejected the light of Christ, but rather there's an enemy at work, an adversary in this world, who is actually blinding the minds of the unbelievers, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. There's something bigger going on, right? And when you think about it, this strategy of the enemy to blind those to the person of Jesus still happens today. It happens as it relates to temptation and sin. It happens as it relates to a desire to achieve and to acquire and to build a name for ourselves rather than to let God live his life through us. It happens in regards to the whole propagation of evolution, for example. A lot of times, listen, when we, when we think about where things went decades ago in the public schools, a lot of times the, the cry of Christians is, well, we just need to get prayer back in the public schools. Yeah, that would be a good thing. That would be helpful. But listen, it goes far deeper than that. And when we, we begin to just think about the first 20 minutes of this message or so and how God is the one who created, God is preexistent. He holds full right and reign over every life that he's created, that he holds all authority over our lives, that this God, when he created, when, 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 when he shows us clearly that life comes through him, what evolution does is it counters that completely and totally so that if a person embraces evolution, what they have to do to embrace evolution is to push God out of the picture completely. It can't be shared space. If we hold to evolution, he has to be removed from the picture completely. And when we take him out of the picture completely, it's much bigger than, I wish we had prayer in schools. What then happens is we all become the masters of our own life. Live from that point forward without any need or accountability to the God who created us whatsoever, which is what keeps us in darkness. It's the enemy blinding the minds of unbelievers to who God is. Humanism, atheist, uh, atheism as well, would follow that same suit. Paul says it's the enemy who blinds us to the light of the gospel. This Paul would share in Acts twenty six how he came to know Jesus personally. And it's interesting what he says in Acts 26 when he gives a little bit of his own testimony. We pick up in verse, um, in verse 15. Jesus has come to Paul. He's appeared to Paul. Paul says, uh, "He says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Listen to what Jesus says to Paul. He says, get up, stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things that you've seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. And here's what Jesus says to Paul. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We add another layer to the picture. God who spoke into existent light, who is the very representation of light to the point to where his word says God is light. He's revealed himself most clearly through Jesus who came equating himself with God, who said I am the light of the world who calls all people to himself and yet we see even there, there are those who reject Jesus, who are blinded by the enemy. Now we find that if we choose to come to him, yes he calls us, but we're also called in Acts 26 to turn from darkness and to light, to turn from the dominion of the enemy, from Satan, to the dominion of God, we make a decision whether we're going to follow God and walk in the light or not. That's the picture of Paul's testimony. And Jesus told him, I'm going to send you into the world to share this message of calling people and instructing them of the necessity, right, that they open their eyes to turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God. And as they do, they receive forgiveness, right? It's repentance and it's faith. Repentance and faith in Christ that brings us from darkness to life. And it's only repentance and faith in Christ. To the point to where, back in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that same letter again, it says in verse 6, Paul writes, For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, a reference to Genesis 1, We just sang a song called Same God, right? For the same God, funny how this works out, for the same God who said back at the beginning of creation, light shall shine out of darkness, listen, is the same one, the same God, who has also shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's why we worship and that's why we praise because we're not saved by our own good deeds or by our efforts or by cleaning ourselves up or by getting on the right track. Yes, we turn from our sin and yes, we turn to Christ, but at the very beginning, what we see is that it's God who draws us. It's God who brings us to himself for us to respond in such a way. And the reason we praise and the reason we worship is because he has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of his glory through a relationship with Jesus. The same God who brought light into existence in the very beginning is the same God who calls people still today. Maybe even you, you can remember the day that he called you You remember whenever you were at rock bottom, or you remember when you were at the mountaintop and still empty and dry and wondering what life was all about, or somewhere in between, and you remember that moment whenever you felt God drawing you to himself, and you prayed, maybe you hit your knees, and you verbally perhaps even asked Jesus, would you forgive me and save me and take over my life and be my Savior, be my King, be my Lord, be my Master, whatever words you use, you remember what it was like there. And ever since then, you remember what it's like to have been in the darkness and to think, I don't ever want to go back there, and now you're in the light. And, yeah, there's a struggle sometimes, and, yes, there are times we still live reflective of the old life, but, man, you wouldn't trade where you are with Christ for anything. And it started because he drew you to himself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 8. He says, speaking to the believer, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Live a life that's reflective of the new life, not the old one. Live a life reflective of light, because your Savior is the light of the world. The God you serve is the God who is called light himself. So does it end with us? No. One final passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter is writing towards the close of the New Testament. Speaking to Christians, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You are chosen. You are holy. You have access to God, you are His very possession, and here's why. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. And here's the terminology again. Who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The purpose, the direction, and the tone of our lives is that we live as believers, our lives, walking in the light that puts Him on display and proclaiming who He is, a God who would draw us out of sin and out of darkness and out of separation and out of the grasp of the evil one, right, out of the enemy, and place us as adopted sons and daughters in relationship with Him in the light. For some of you, you would use that terminology, that phrase, to say, you know, I've been walking in the light for a long time, and praise God for it. Others of you, you you've you been in the light for a long time, right? And that's not mystical. We, I mean, we've traced it through Scripture, the terminology. But but you haven't really praised the Lord for what He's done in that sense and maybe haven't even really shared that message with others around you. Others of you, you've, you've never taken that step out of darkness into light. You've never relinquished control of your life trusting Jesus who died and rose, inviting Him to forgive you and to take over. And today, if you haven't, You can make that decision, but all of life centers around walking in the light that we have in the person of Jesus. If you've never given your life to Him, what is it about the darkness that would cause you to want to stay there? (laughs) And why not choose to step out of it and trust Christ and enjoy the beauty of His magnificent light in your life? It doesn't mean your life will be perfect. One day it will be. There'll be struggles and there'll be hardship and there'll be difficulties. But far better to be found in the light with him than in the darkness with everything else. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know if this would be the case with anybody else, but to me it's just, it was fascinating preparing for this message and to just trace this through through your word. And to see how often you use this terminology. Lord of light and darkness. Sometimes literally you spoke light into existence. It wasn't a hard thing for you to do. You're God with all power. It wasn't a hard thing for Jesus to be raised from the dead. It wasn't a hard thing to meet us in our sin. And to rescue us and to apply the payment of Jesus to our sins. And to give us hearts that are clean and pure. And to give us a status of righteousness and holiness. Or those are not hard things for God, who's always existed, has all power. But God, we thank you that in the midst of all of your power, that you also have infinite love for us, to the point to where when we come to you in repentance and faith, trusting Christ, you treat us as your own family, you call us that, you make us that, sons and daughters in Christ. You make us family, not just us as an individual church, but Scattered with all other believers around the world, in Cuba and the Philippines and in all other countries, God, when we share relationship with Christ, we're family. And God, it's that same relationship that maybe you're drawing some even today towards that have thought about what it means to know you. Maybe they've mistakenly thought if they could just get a little better or come to church a little longer, that you'll accept them. But God, it really has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with surrendering our lives to the person of Jesus, who is God and paid our debt for us. And when we've done that, Lord, may we be faithful to proclaim your excellencies, to proclaim who you are, and to share this message (laughs) that has done so much in our lives to take us literally out of darkness and to put us into the light. God, we thank you for being that kind of a God, and we praise you today for salvation that comes only through Jesus. May we live to your glory and in a way that reflects you for who you are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.